0: (laughs) welcome to the original doll iconography i'm your host james rodriguez i'm the original doll i unpackage music with the people who create it and at the same time we give back to charity for more information just go to the website theoriginaldoll.com Big shout out to my Patreon supporters, you all rock, because of you, we can keep this thing going. And as with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it. We're going to get right to the show, and today we're going to be talking to Britney Spears' former and our Steve Lunt about the In The Zone track, The Hookup. My name is James Rodriguez, this is Iconography, The Original doll <laughs> What? Wow everyone i would like to welcome you back to the original doll i'm your host james rodriguez on the original doll we unpackage music with the people who were there and at the same time we give back to charity for more information visit the and big shout out to my patreon supporters you all rock don't forget join me on instagram the now today we are joined by one of my favorite people to talk to and one of many of your favorite people to talk to we have britney spears's former a and r guy right hand man arranger producer songwriter his own recording artist, we have Steve Lutz. Steve, thanks for coming back. You're welcome. Today, I want to talk about, so you and I talked for over a year now about the impact of In The Zone and kind of those things, and we've touched a little bit upon it. And so today, I kind of wanted to talk about the song, The Hookup, what's been amazing, and, and for listeners, if you haven't checked out my other interviews with Steve, please, after this episode, go back through and check him out. Because you and I had talked over a year ago about how the hookup was kind of one of those songs that you were proud of, that you were excited about. And then lo and behold, months later, Britney is doing Instagram videos to it and everything. So I figured, let's talk about this song, because even though it wasn't a single, I mean, Britney still kind of gave us performances on Instagram. Why don't we rewind back? We know that In The Zone was released in November, fall, if you will of 2003 now this was two years after the britney album where were you where was britney where was the label in that transition period what were you looking for what were you looking to do what were you looking not to do where were you at
1: i think it's important to remember what was going on around that time too with jive records and with britney as a person you know britney was growing up she was beginning to feel her wrote as an adult or semi-adult however she old, however old she was at the time and at the same time Jive was changing, you know, we had Clive Calder, the the owner, chairman of, the founder of Jive Records, left in, I think, what, 2002? I think it was 2002. Yeah. So th- there was a lot of uncertainty in the air, really, um, as to where we should go. And Britney was taking a little bit of time for herself. And at the same time, Jive wasn't fully together towards, you know, uh, the 2002 area. It was a little weird because... Barry Weiss, who was the president of Jive Records, after Clive had left, he took over basically being chairman and running Jive Records. He was not an A&R person like Clive's talents were in, in mm-hmm. so he didn't have those same sort of talents, not the same skill set. Uh, he was a radio promotion guy, and he was really good at that. When Britney was taking time, and suddenly we realized we were also without... Max Martin. Max Martin wasn't really involved in this record and he didn't really want to be involved, if I remember correctly. It certainly wasn't us saying you can't work on it. So it must have Mm -hmm. come from him. You know, it was a very uncertain time as to the direction that she should go in. We decided, I mean, I decided really that I just wanted to go for it, just be, just do something different. You know, we couldn't go backwards. The road forwards was unclear as to where we should go. So I said, just going to experiment, just going to, it's going to go in my gut instincts. And, uh, you know, if I hear a song that I like, that I think she can sing and you know use my my own skill set of being able to make those judgments you know I'm just going to run with that and if uh Brittany ends up with no career and I end up with no job then I'll realize I didn't do it very well. I think as it turned out it turned out well, I'm really proud of the in the zone album because I feel that in the end ultimately it was a huge turning point for her you know she hadn't really turned into a full independent woman yet mm-hmm. and I think that in the zone did that for her you know she sort of reached maturity and she started to say yeah you know, I'm, I am my own person. And I think I was, you know, I'd like to think I was a, a part of helping her along that route to getting there.
0: I remember when this came out, the reviews of so many of these songs, and we're not just talking even the lead single for Me Against the Music, but the album, there were a lot of standout tracks that critics were referring to. And I think, and I, and, and listeners, I don't want you to overlook this, is this was going to be basically Jive's first big, big release Under this whole new regime, but also they were trying to make money because the whole Clive Calder thing. So hopping out to explain what the whole Clive Calder thing is. Back in November of 2002, several news outlets were reporting this huge story. What it was, and here's one of them, the New York Post. BMG gets fleeced, shells out $2.74 billion for Zamba without Calder. And the article goes on to say, Clive Calder took the money and ran. Bertelsmann agreed yesterday to pay Calder $2.74 billion for a majority stake in his independent record company, Zamba, and Calder promptly resigned. While most of the music industry expected Calder, a hip-hop and pop music legend who formed Zamba's Drive Records in 1981, to bolt after getting his money, Bertelsmann's hope when it agreed to the deal in 1996 was that it would keep Calder in the fold. Yesterday's announcement was the conclusion of an ongoing saga that resulted in Bertelsmann massively overpaying for Zamba, which was once hot with its pop acts like Britney Spears and R. Kelly, but has since waned in popularity. Bertelsmann did manage to whittle down the price from $3 billion, which Calder originally claimed he was owed when it was exercised a put option last summer that required Bertelsmann to buy him out. The actual market value of Zamba, according to industry sources, is south of $1.5 billion. Now, something that I wanted to talk about was so many different news articles, so many different books talked about this specifically where there was some sort of addendum in the contract that stated that when Calder decided to sell, it would be based on kind of the, the valuation and how the previous three years has done. Well, this is what's amazing. This happening in 2002 and the contract and everything uh, and all the news sources reporting is that all of this was based on the success from 1999, 2000, and 2001. Now, if you're a music fan, pop music fan, take a listen. Let me know. I'm going to name off some of these albums. Let me know. Did you buy any of these? This is just a small sample of the albums and this is just Jive Records and this is just in the United States. 1999, Backstreet Boys, Millennium, sold 13 million copies by 2001. 1999, Britney Spears' Baby Album, sold 15 million by the end of 2000. Two thousand had NSYNC release no strings attached, which would sell eleven million by two thousand and one. Joe's album My Name Is Joe back in two thousand would sell three million by two thousand and one. Britney's Oops album in two thousand would sell nine million by two thousand and one. Aaron Carter's Aaron Party album in two thousand would sell two million by two thousand and one. R. Kelly's album TP 2.com would sell 4 million by the spring of 2002. Backstreet Boys Black and Blue would sell 8 million by the end of 2000. Mystical's album Let's Get Ready from 2000 would sell 2 million by 2000. And 2001 album Celebrity. 5 million by the end of 2001. Aaron Carter's Oh, Aaron, 1 million by 2001. Backstreet Boys The Hits, Chapter One, 1 million by 2002. Britney Spears' Britney album, 4 million by the end of 2000. Joe's album, Better Days, 500,000 by April 2002. Mystical's Tarantula would sell 500,000 by April of 2002. So many of you who are of listeners, I feel like you might have several of those albums, but this was the part that many of the news articles were referencing that the valuation was coming from what Jive made and all the different subsidiaries in 1999, 2000, 2001. This is just a sampling of this, but that should tell you where that valuation was coming from. So we're going to hop back in. Like I said, it's a very, very nuanced situation. So you can kind of check it out, do some research on it, but I wanted to give the kind of Reader's Digest generic version of this. Now back to the show. So this was a turning point going, where are we at? Because, at this time, Backstreet Boys, also on Jive, were on this hiatus. All of these things were happening. So Britney being one of those tent pole albums was big. But I remember thinking, you know, her and I are like the same age. This is a huge departure for an artist, not only four albums in, but as somebody to your point who was a teen artist, who was changing and growing up during this time. And also during this time where things were changing in the entertainment industry digital was a thing all of these different things were happening and i feel like in my research if in the zone did not do well first of all we wouldn't have had you around you know long for in the zone (laughs) they'd be like bye good bye i also think that the label would have just shut it down because there was a lot writing on it If this didn't turn out as positively as it was, this would have hurt the company. And during that year of 2003, they had, and at the time, and everyone, you know, this is all in context, R. Kelly was releasing The Chocolate Factory. Joe was releasing the album, Too Short, E-40. Britney was the only pop act releasing an album that year in 2003 for Jive. So there was a lot on the line. And with all these artists, especially the pop stars... Will the audience continue to grow with the artist? Will the fifteen-year-olds, sixteen-year-olds who started with Britney, still be listening to Britney while they're in college? While right. they're, well, it,
1: it's funny that you mentioned, uh, you know, you tied in Backstreet Boys and In Sync into this, and uh, and it's right to the point, really, because you got three teen acts that were about the same age, that all grew up together, that were reaching this point in their lives as human beings where they weren't really that same teen artist they were when they made their initial breakthrough and they were just all sort of coming into adulthood, if you like, or semi-adulthood as I call Mm -hmm. it, because we all go through that period when we're not really adults, but we think we are. Oh yeah. I still go through that. Yeah. The jive was sort of questioning itself too in a, in a strange sort of way that, wow, is this bubble going to burst? And I think we all saw that sooner or later it has to burst, but it was like, we don't want it to. You know, and the idea was to ride the the artist with their desire to be more adult is to ride that, but to make it as, you know, to go with it, don't fight it, but but to make it as credible and still as commercial as possible so that the artists don't end up shooting themselves in the foot. You can't go from baby one more time or into, uh, into suddenly like an, uh, an Arabian hip hop album with, uh, you know, featuring bagpipes and a kazoo. You know mm-hmm. it, you can't make a totally left field turn and expect your audience to stay with you. so it was it was kind of my job and the company's job to make sure that that these acts still kept somewhat true to their audience, that so they didn't leave them along the way in their in their route, you know, and their desire to be adults. And independent, so, you know, because no, they all wanted to be independent, as all artists do, you know. And all these articles they said, oh, they're the product of Jive Records, you know, and they're, you know, sort of mm-hmm. made it made us seem like the machine and the and the acts just like our puppets, you know. And and, and the artists read this themselves and they say, no, we're not, you know, fuck that, mm-hmm. we're not that, you know. We want to do something different. we you know, we're going to rebel against Jive. It's like the parents with kids, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. I like, screw you, you know. I'm going to do it my own way, and that's kind of what a record company is up against you know you invest a lot of time and a lot of money and uh and a lot of man hours and in order to get an artist to where they are and then when they get there they say well screw you we don't really need you but the mm-hmm. fact is they do and so you got to try and protect them from themselves a lot of the time and that's kind of what we do, kind of what my job was on In the zone, and as you say, it was the first. I'm sorry, but in the zone was, as you said, it was a very important album for Jive Records, because and for Barry Weiss, who had taken over, you know, being chairman, because a lot rode on this. So the first pop artist coming out. And she was without Max Martin, the incredible genius hit maker that she had always had there and the Neptunes. So we were kind of just floating in the the ether trying to work out what to do here, you know, and, and I just decided to be creative and just go for it.
0: Well, and I think this is one of those things where the pressure of it, to your point, everything that was put in place that helped up until the last album be successful, you're taking out Clive you're taking out Max, you know, Rami, all these people. And then it's like, there's the good thing and the bad thing. But I think that that opened it up. And as a as a fan of the music, I also think that's why this album was so sonically different, that it was so completely opposite what many people thought was gonna happen. You know, that when you listen to this album, there are so many different textures and tones and flavors that I think would not have happened had it been a big Swedish album, I right. think that it would have kind of played with the same and the safe at the time. But to your point, Max Martin, that at that point he was like, well, a lot of these artists were seeing the writing on the wall. And Sync had released Celebrity in 2001. That was their final album, but we were still being told. They're on hiatus, they're on hiatus. Now they might be working with solo stuff. And everyone, we have episodes coming up about the solo albums and solo works of many of those people, so just be prepared. Before we get into the song, one last thing. Looking back at this album as a whole, what did you take away from it at the time when you put that bow on it, it's finished, it's mastered? What did you take away from this whole era, this time?
1: I sacrificed a lot of my nervous system I think in you know order to put this together, you know, because, uh, you know, as I've told you before, the, it was a very stressful time. I mean, although I'm really proud of it on a, on a musical level and, and, and how it helped Brittany make that, you know, that, that change in a career, um, it was very stressful because the company didn't know what they want. And I was, I was still an employee of the company. So I, I didn't have total free reign mm. and we were, I was kind of being forced to put Britney with people that I didn't think were suitable or have Britney, you know, work with people who I thought didn't really get the subtleties, like the nuances of what Britney should be or what she could Mm be. It was kind of, it got to be a little bit. People wanted me to put, put it together with like the flavor of the day of, uh, of, Mm. of writers and producers of the flavor of the day. And these people were kind of like, you know, just like street artists. Like they, They didn't really know what the pop thing was about. They just came from this credible street level thing and that those two things don't really mesh with britney you know like britney needs a song she doesn't just need a one chord groove with a with a hype man you know like you know mm-hmm. di- doing this doing this stuff so it was that was stressful because britney didn't want to do half these things and i certainly didn't want her to do half these things so trying to trying to force this uh square peg through the round hole was not the easiest thing to do
0: so listeners we are going to be talking about and some of these episodes have been up op- uh many of the in the zone songs including some of those bonus tracks today we are going to talk about the hookup (laughs) (laughs) the (laughs) the hookup and listeners when i tell you Steve got very excited when we talked about this like a year ago, just in like different, different episodes, because it clearly was one of your favorite things. And this, this In The Zone album, I can safely say, is like your, your magnum opus. Like this is something that every song that we've talked about, you've had these stories and there's this spirit, not that they didn't have those before in other songs, but I think that, or other songs or albums, but I feel like this is the most, you and Britney album. Yeah. The collaborations, not just features or duets, but the songwriters and producers that in most of these were good fits. And we'll talk about what most of those means in a, in a future episode. I think the listeners will know when you go through the set list that there are some unsavory people on this album. Let's talk about the hookup. This was the first time that we as listeners heard Britney with penelope magnet with red zone well tricky stewart like how did that come to be how did these creatives come into britney's realm
1: i took a meeting with uh with tricky stewart in my office only knew of him through some sort of you know uh, you know some r&b kind of pop things they hadn't been massive hits so they'd been hits i think it had one I, i can't remember off the top of my head now but um in the pop world, he wasn't really known other than maybe one song, which is, you know, which was doing something. So when he came in and uh, listened to him, he made his case really well. The guy's a very smart guy and uh, he really impressed me. And he had his own studio down in Atlanta and his own setup with a crew of writers and and all the rest of it. And I said, you know, I like this guy. I'm just going to, my gut tells me, let's see what, what this is. And I basically to cut a long story short, brought them up to New York and we spent uh, over a week, I can't remember exactly, one, two weeks or something in the, in Battery Studios, which is Jive Records studio in the building. Just started like, you know, making the tracks. I mean, you know, with Britney, got Britney in. And one of the pieces to this puzzle, which is really important was Penelope Magnet. She's so good. good. Yeah, I know. And she she just came in and she supplied the attitude. There was a real, you know, when you put someone like Britney at this point in her career with with just male producers, there's a a tension there just in general. Nothing against any particular producer, but it's just the way it is. I mean, it's no, no girl entering womanhood wants to be told what to do, even if it's politely and respectfully mm-hmm. to do something. You know, they, there's a kind of natural fuck you response to that, which I'm sure Brittany felt inside at times and never really voiced. But with when Tricky came in, he was very artist friendly to begin with. And then when Penelope was, when he brought up Penelope and Penelope and, and Brittany just, bonded just like that. I think they both wanted to be each other.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Hopping out for a quick second. What Steve is referring to, and many of you have been Britney fans for decades at this point know, there was always this thing where everyone was like, Britney's manufactured, she's too polished. Even when she would do something that was considered, quote unquote, a little edgy at that time, people were saying that she still didn't have that street credibility. What Penelope Magnet was able to do was bring that street cred to the song, to Britney Spears, and in turn... Penelope Magnet was learning the polished pop style. So it was these two women that were completely different in their styles coming together and being able to create something that is so genuine to both of them. So at the time, you have Britney going, ooh, I like what you're doing. Penelope going, ooh, I like what you're doing. And it worked. And don't forget, join me on Instagram, the.original.doll. There you can see all sorts of videos of me honoring Britney Spears and so many others. Back to the show
1: and there was just this meeting of the of the minds and spirit and you can tell like in the i mean and this is the songs a great example i mean it's it's kind of like half brittany half Penelope. you don't really see where where one begins and the other one ends mm-hmm. it's it just melds into this attitude song you know and it's a and the thing i really liked about it was like a it's a club song but it's a, you know it's up tempo but it's fun and it exemplified the uh you know britney's new mood and and her her new adopted lifestyle if you like her new viewpoint on life and and i think that that really worked you know and i think that that the way penelope pulled that out of britney i'm not so sure that anyone else at that time could have done that
0: the bodies are
1: shaking wanna make my body keep shaking better get your butt out of it, baby come on let's go
0: people who might be like wait tricky i know that name before he worked with Brittany. he had a hit song with Maya case of the X, which I got to interview Maya. So check out those episodes. And I got to interview her songwriter of that Tracy Hale. But this was being able to create something. And it was interesting because so many people were like, there's Pharrell, there's, you know, the Neptunes, and then there's this guy coming that is bringing this different kind of flavor. And I think what Penelope really brought in all those songs that she worked on, because it's no secret for those who know, there were several songs that she worked on with Britney, I think what elevated britney was when britney started using that new tone that that, that vocal mm. that was similar to penelope magnet right. we talk about people are like oh the label made her do this this britney knows what to do with her voice and what needs to be done and utilizing right. that rougher sound i think that's why penelope and britney's voice are almost in unison People don't realize Penelope's all over this song, (laughs) all over this song. Whenever Britney has worked with female songwriters, voices, it really brings out a different thing in Britney that was not there before. And that I could safely say is somebody who's gone through her music with her. Let me ask you this then. When this was being created, were you looking going, wait, this is a good collaboration. Let's try several things. Or was this, there's only one song you're going to work on. This is it, because we know that they worked on multiple. But at that specific time, were you open to keep trying this out, Brittany, with this this oh, team? yeah,
1: no, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, there was. I would never put that restriction. If I believed in a producer and an artist enough to bring them up to New York and to basically settle them in hotels and put them and put them in the studio, you know, for a, for a decent amount of time with a a platinum artist like like Brittany, then. And I'm not going to restrict them. I mean, uh, that would be the last thing I would do. So look, you've got this time. Just give me, I mean, the way that I like to work is, I think I'm sort of, I think one of the things I do pretty well is sorting the wheat from the chaff, as they say. Yeah, that means sort out the good stuff from the, from the, just the stuff that's there or thereabouts. And in this, and in the case, you know, when I'm working with artists and producers, I'll say, just give me as much as you've got be as crazy as you want don't feel inhibited in any way just just go for it you know just be as creative as you can and let me tell you yeah this works that part works this doesn't work this works and I can go through and I'm pretty good at cherry picking I think I'm anyway pretty good at cherry picking the parts that I that I want and what I think will be suitable and then working the working with the producer to expand upon those and to get rid of the chaff. That's kind of how I worked with with uh, you know with Tricky in this situation, and he was totally amenable to it. Some people get very defensive if I'm like that with them because they'll feel very protective about every idea they come up with. They think is is the best idea known to mankind, and so any criticism or any interjection that 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 you that you give them is is kind of offensive to them. And that's Mm. those are the producers that I always found kind of difficult to work with not impossible Mm -hmm. but just because I found a way around it but I just found that that didn't really work smoothly with me I liked producers who would just say yeah let's do this let's do that and they didn't get married to any tiny little thing if they really believed in something they would say hold on a second no I don't want to get rid of that just let me work on this a little bit more to show you what I mean and sometimes it would be fantastic after that and other times it would still continue to be not so good. My general attitude is let creative people be creative, and because I've been in that position myself, and there's nothing worse than having it all bubbling up inside you and you don't have a chance to to get it out before people judge it. I think in this in this situation, I let them have at it, and uh, you know we I think we started off with me against the music. I can't remember which ones we did first, but or in any order. And I think that's testament to how well we all worked together as a team because the ideas were just coming thick and fast. You know, they'd come up with an idea, say, well, try this, try that, try that, do this, do that. You know, and they would try it and some would work, some wouldn't. And then we just move on from there and just keep on building this thing slowly but surely. And I think that's how we managed to get so many songs of that ilk on this album. Uh, The Hookup is definitely one of my favorites because it just seems so, something so pure about it to me. It's just like fun. It's it's like unpretentious. It's It's fun. It's of its time. The track is great. You know the instruments are great and everything. And it's basically just most of it's just like one chord all the way through. It's just like it's not a highly sophisticated song in a in a in a melodic way. It's just just a lot of fun and it just keeps on going like a like a steamroller. And the, and it just makes you fall in love with the singer or singers in this case in in the song.
0: Twenty years ago, I remember thinking, "Whoa, her voice is so different." herself on this song because the verses is different like texturally than than the choruses are the bridge and everything and i think that makes it super enticing and also it's that dance hall that's in there that has always been you know great but also britney spears being able to do the song and it sound not manufactured and forced and gross i think that that's and many many critics pointed out that this was one of the highlights on this album one of the things that many people might not know is the original lyrics to this song were not very (laughs) g-rated and do you remember those kind of those original lyrics because and everyone still yes britney spears was you know a 21 22 year old woman around this time but also And as we talked about with Brad Sundberg, who worked with Janet Jackson, Michael Jackson, is if there was explicit lyrics on an album, big box stores at the time were not going to carry. So it'd be like if iTunes decided they would not sell in the zone, that hurts everyone's pockets. So there are many songs that we know, kind of a little bit editing and everything, but just for everyone to know, this just helped it by not getting that big parental advisory for these. So do you want to talk a little bit about those kind of original lyrics?
1: You know, part of my job, I mean, every, the more, how do I put this? The more street level the music became and the more urban, if you like, the, you know, the tracks and groove oriented, the tracks became, as opposed to being Swedish, the nice clean, squeaky clean Swedish thing. As soon as it turned into being more Atlanta and New York, you know sort of the bias that way, where you get where you get people who are not used to writing maybe pop lyrics, they're normally used to writing like rap lyrics. Trust me, some of the some of the things that come out that they think would be great for Britney, because she's a you know hot looking twenty something year old girl. and I say, yeah, let's talk about Britney being this, that, and the other. And it's kind of my job to sort of be able to talk people down off the ledge a little bit with that, <laughs> and to say and to say well, I don't think we we can really say that we can hint at it or can use another word for this word, you know, and still get the same vibe across without it being causing too much trouble. You don't want to cause trouble. You don't want to give people more, especially on an album like this, which is basically like a comeback album, if you like, you know, even though she had never really gone away, you don't want to give people the reason not to like it, especially critics and radio and everything. You don't want to give the gatekeepers an excuse to say, Oh, you know, we're not going to play this pretty record because it has the word shit in it or, you know, mm-hmm. she said, fuck. You, know, it's the, like, yeah. you don't want to give them that, that excuse. So you try and, you try and find a clever way around it. And I always encourage that. And plus the fact, personally, I don't think you have to say those words, particularly in a record in order to, uh, in order to get your point across. I think it's kind of a, it's kind of a cheap shot, I think.
0: And I think one of the great greatest things that many of the listeners talked about when, when we talked about songwriting for Britney is Frankie Storm, who worked on, uh, Britney Spears' a Circus album, she also wrote Don't Stop the Music, uh, Rihanna and the, the interviews that I've had with her out there, she said, what Britney did was walk that fine line she was never, even if we talked about Touch of My Hand, it was never this explicit exactly, that's my
1: point exactly yes.
0: and for the listeners in the hookup, instead of said he wanna hook up it was originally going to be said he wanna f- so, and go for on, me, it's like, oh, it. Come uh, on, James, so you want to fuck. There um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Many people talk about that. They're like, is the expletive worth it in that moment? And sometimes the punctuation there makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other times it's like part of the mystique and the awesomeness of Britney has been this like almost dichotomy where she's almost going where she's about to go past that line, right? but brings it back. But the creative part is, how do we get that same message sent across? And they kind of have to work, work harder with it. And I think this is one of those songs that I think said he want to hook up. I mean, the song's called The Hookup. So yeah. it's, he was never going to be, he said he want to, f- so. Yeah.
1: It's self-explanatory, you know, if you need to to put certain words in there before it gets the meaning across, then you kind of miss the point. It's, you know, when you, you know, you you get the feeling from the recording from the moment it starts, you know this is kind of like a, like a sexy call to arms. That's got on the dance floor. Let's, this is just like hooking up with someone, and everyone knows hooking up isn't just holding hands and going to the movies. Yeah. So so you know you don't have to say anymore, especially when it's delivered in such a way that 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 Britney and Penelope did. It just keeps on sort of rolling. It's very sort of you know sensual the way they sing it. So you don't need those words in there
0: so then as as we come to close talking about the hookup when you look back at it because here's what's interesting on the album because everyone steve was part of the sequencing of the album and songs at this point still had reasons why you put them in the order that they did the hookup comes and for those those listeners we'll just do a refresh it opens with me against the music i got that boom boom showdown breathe on me early morning toxic outrageous touch of my hand the Hookup, and Shadow, then Brave New Girl, and Every Time. So The Hookup comes after Touch of My Hand. One of the things that I thought was interesting that you mentioned to us before is kind of this this roller coaster. You want to give people like this kind of up and down. And when we talked about Every Time, you said, we want to end so that if you start back at the beginning of the CD, boom, you have Me Against the Music. So then you go from The Hookup to Shadow. So what would what you talked about before having the hook up towards the end of the album. Was that because it was one of those, let's get the energy back up towards the end of the album.
1: You know, not necessarily. I'm not, I don't th- think about it. I mean, like th- that is part of, of what it is, you know, I guess because I do like the ebb and flow of, uh, mm-hmm. of where an album goes, but I will try when I'm putting, say, I mean, in this case, there's 12 songs. I would try out every which way. You know, every different combination going from beginning from the end of one song into the beginning of the next, see how it feels, see how it see how it grabs the soul, you know, as you're listening to it. Knowing that we'd be starting off with a single with Me Against the Music and everything else was was up for grabs in the order. I think I went for I got that boom boom, you know, with the Yin Yang twin second because it, mm-hmm. it kind of felt like it was another not a duet thing, but like they were the hype people in it. You know, there's a big thing at that time about having like hype track is what we used to call it. And so in uh, the hookup, it would be, you know, coming from Bud doing the dance hall, you know, um, hype track. And in this, it was the Ying Yang twins who at the time were pretty hot. And that just whole that Atlanta Southern sort of hip hop thing was kind of cool. And to put uh, Brittany in that scenario kind of made sense. It got you to sit up and take, take, listen, you know, you it kept you interested after me against the music. You know, from there, I tried out everything in every which order. And I think I just... Most probably just found that certain songs with the tempo, the key they were in, whether something started off soft or whether something started off hard or whether the one ended soft, it, There's so many things that, that I don't have a, a textbook way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Each each album is different Dependent on the music The music states how I should do it And so I'd play them And if one song felt good after the other I'd say, yeah, okay I'm locking that in That, mm. that little couplet of songs there Because this feels you come out of So in this case I would have come from The Touch of My Hand Which is very dreamy very sort of um sort of sexy in a very ethereal, ethereal way you know, so get of kind of uh, kind of sense and kind of European too in its in, in with a lot of synths and everything in there a lot of keyboards then to go into the hookup which just felt far more like earthy and okay we're in the club going to hook up it just felt it just something about it just felt great i didn't think about it intellectually i don't do that i didn't think oh well the lyrics to this song lead perfectly into you Mm -hmm. know it's this isn't a novel this isn't a war and peace you know it's a it's a pop album Is what it is and the music is meant to grab you in a way that sometimes you can't describe or you don't know why and it's my job to sort of those songs together in a way that grabs you and you're not quite sure why in fact you may never even think of it you might not have even thought of it before i'm talking about it now you know which is perfectly natural in fact in that case i've done my job well because the idea is not to bring attention to anything or anyone and then this the idea is to make the album so that it just flows in a way that you feel that satisfies you and and stimulates you
0: i love that and for, the, for those who if this is your first time listening welcome those returners welcome back touch of my hand i have a separate interview with jimmy harry And another interview with shep solomon then shadow we have an interview with lauren christie and brave new girl josh schwartz was here and so we have several of these breathe on me we had steve anderson on so it's cool to be able to kind of see where these songs were at individually because many people are like james why do you do each song individually and you and i talked about it it's like each song deserves its own shine these are separate children if you will that deserve to to be acknowledged
1: well these writers these writers put their heart and soul into these i'm sorry to interrupt but the writers put their heart and soul into it Mm -hmm. um and sometimes it's just you know people say oh it's just an album track it's not just an album track you know not to Mm -mm. these people you know it's they, they put their heart and soul into it and they all think their song should have been a single and they're most probably all right because there are so many possible singles on this record that you look back on now and you should say I mean, A lot of songs That you look back on now And you say Well, that could have been a single So I'm very supportive Of the artists and writers and, I, and all credit to you For bringing all these one, All these people Into the spotlight And I'm sure it's interesting If people want to compare Stories behind certain songs Because everyone's memories Are different You know mm-hmm. 20 years later I'm sure that my memories may differ to, you know, Sheps or uh, or mm-hmm. Jimmy or, you know, you know, or the, the Matrix. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's going to be discrepancies in the story somewhere. And I think all we can do 20 years later is to tell it, is to tell the truth the way that we see it mm-hmm. or the way that we remember it. I always try to do that.
0: One last question about The Hookup. It shows, and we're going to talk about this with other songs, it shows arranged by Tricky, Penelope Magnet, Britney Spears, and Steve Lunt. What? Right does arranging mean
1: well arranging is separate from songwriting i think people have to realize that the songwriting is you you come up with the chords you come up with the melody and you come up with the lyrics it's basically when you boil down to it the ground zero of a song is those those three elements is melody the lyrics in the songwriting it's it's three elements in the in the arranging of it it's coming up with arrangement ideas they say put a harmony here or why don't you put this little melody on a keyboard here or why don't you take this section and put it there instead of where it was you know like move the middle eight up to right after the first chorus as opposed to leaving after the second chorus why don't we have a, a crowd chant on the last chorus you know just things like that those are all arrangement things they're all taking care of some of the, the, the way the music is ultimately comes out but it's really not writing unless you're coming up with a specific Hook itself. You sort of say, Mm. okay, play these notes, da, 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 and that becomes the hook, you know, and that becomes a major thing. Then it becomes part of the writing. So it's kind of a gray area. I'm very aware of that is having, you know, of what that gray area is and where it is and where I shouldn't overstep that mark in my duties as an AR person. I'm not one of the AR people, and there are plenty around who insert themselves into the writing process and Mm -hmm. then claim, you know, and, and claim they're a writer and the artists and the And the producers feel obligated to go along with it and to kowtow down to it and and put that A&R person's name in there as a writer because they're scared they won't get the song on the album. Mm -hmm. You know that's never been my style. In fact, quite the opposite. I've always found that I've that I've given a a lot more than I've taken back. Let's put it that way. You know, I tend to uh, I tend to give out my ideas very freely Mm -hmm. and without any strings attached. To my own detriment a lot of the time, I must admit.
0: Looking back now, what is kind of your elevator pitch, you would say, if for somebody who's not heard the hookup? Now, most of the people here will have heard the hookup, but what is kind of a couple words you would use to even just describe the hookup so that we can kind of put a bow on this?
1: I would say it's fun. Infectious is the word I would use. It's infectious. It's insistent. And it's liberating. I think those are good words to describe it. Those are
0: great words. I love that. that. So everyone, I want to thank Steve for being here today and have no fear. We have gone through almost every Britney Spears song, those that were on studio albums, bonus tracks, b-sides, demos, and more. So we have more with him coming up very soon. Steve, thank you so much for being here today on The Original Dough.
1: You're welcome, James, as always. The Original Dough.